0: Hey Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, cool people and real conferences. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Global. This year, we continue our series of annual reviews as Space Cafe Radios. I had the great pleasure talking with Dr. Malcolm Davis, Senior Analyst in Defense Strategy and Capability at the Australian Strategic
1: Policy Institute.
0: Malcolm, what have been your personal highlights in the last 12 months?
1: I'll start with an Australian perspective and then broaden it out to the world global perspective. I think from an Australian perspective, it's been how the government has swung behind sovereign space launch as a future industry for Australia up until really mid-2020, going into early 2021 there wasn't a lot of explicit government support for sovereign space launch. It was pretty much all keeping things at a distance. And so there was, I think, a concern that Australia's space sector would only partially develop, be stillborn, we'd do satellites, but we would still be reliant on others to launch them, which would have been a terribly uh, disappointing state of affairs. But I think what you've seen now is the government swinging behind Sovereign Space Launch in a big way. There were a number of important events in Canberra in December of of 2021 where government speakers made it very clear that they were supporting Sovereign Space Launch. Now, they need to deal with some regulatory issues and insurance issues um, that I think need to be resolved fairly quickly. But I think the fundamental policy support is there. So that's the first thing is that we look to be on the right path to get Sovereign Space Launch probably within the next 12 months where we'll be seeing Australian satellites launching on Australian launch vehicles from Australian launch sites. And I think that will be a mark of maturity for the Australian space sector that we've finally got a comprehensive, balanced space industry that is is not purely ground-based or not purely dependent on others. The second thing that I felt was really important from an Australian perspective was how much more sophisticated and thoughtful The Department of Defence have been, in terms of space, in 2021. The recognition, I think, on the part of defence that space is an important domain in its own right. It's an operational domain. It's probably going to end up being a warfighting domain. We're establishing the Australian Defence Space Command, which will be an important step forward away from the sort of diversified structure of space projects spattered across defence to one coherent organisation that runs space and defence, and I think that's a really important step because it leads down the path to a more coherent strategy for space and where we're going. And there is this general discussion now of a national space strategy for a stra- not just a civil space strategy and a defense space strategy, but one one space strategy that brings everything together. It provides us with some guidance going forward. So those were the two highlights, I think, for Australia. Globally, I think I was very pleased that we negotiated the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration without reversing direction in space yet again. Uh, We're still committed to going to the moon, albeit a bit later than 2024. But the Biden administration still seems to be supporting the basic foundations of Project Artemis, which is great because too often... Have we seen the situation whenever there's a new administration in Washington, we flip-flop and we go back to a different direction. And so, no progress is ever made. So, that's good. The Biden administration is also supporting Space Force, which is great. I think that if they could have so easily cancelled all of that and suddenly it would have basically undermined all the progress that had been made during the Trump years towards having a coherent approach to defence in space and space security. Other things, of course, obviously highlights for the year were progress in the the commercial sector, SpaceX in particular starting to make progress towards uh, Starship Super Heavy, which I think is going to be really important. In terms of transforming the launch sector, the ability to get large payload up quickly and cheaply and not constantly rebuild the rocket or build a new rocket every time you launch is something that's new and important. I think everyone is very excited about James Webb Space Telescope. That's a really important step, and it's great to see it on its way. Now we're all in this 29 days of terror as we watch as this thing builds itself on the way out to L2, and let's hope that goes well. I think that it's been very interesting to watch the Chinese space developments in terms of their missions to Mars or Tianhe, the, the establishment of Tiangong Gong Space Station, the activities of their moon rovers and their moon orbiters. I think that things are moving very positively in so many areas in terms of space. And to sum up all of this, I think space as an area in general for analysis, for policy is expanding rapidly and it's becoming much more important So the sort of work that you and I do in terms of talking about space and shaping the debate is becoming far more relevant. It's reaching a much wider audience. And that's really critical because this is the industry for the future. It's not cyber. It's space. And I think that's really important to be able to be at the beginning of what is a new golden age of space exploration going forward including potentially resource utilization on the moon and space industry and commercial space. And yes, even space tourism has a role in that.
0: What are your top three seeing the entire space sector last year?
1: I think the first successful launch and landing of Starship, SpaceX Starship, was important because we'd seen them all blow up on landing or blow up on the pad. And now suddenly we have one that took off and landed safely. And so everyone is now watching to see what they do with the Starship Super Heavy combination sometime in 2022. That's going to be groundbreaking. But that first successful test of Star was really important. I think, secondly, the success of probably new startups in the commercial sector. And here I'm thinking of the Low Earth Orbit commercial orbital Platforms like some Axiom Space and Blue Origins, uh, Orbital Read, all of these are really important in terms of taking the next step so that we have some place to go after the International Space Station. And, and it's really important to see the commercial sector stepping into this so that it's not just down to NASA. And I, I think that probably the third thing would be a more generalized recognition of the importance of space and a, a greater, more intense discussion as to why space matters rather than space as an afterthought. And I think that intensity of debate is just going to continue on into 2022 and just grow and grow. So you and I are going to be really busy going into 2022. Absolutely.
0: So let's look into your specific area of military space. What touched you most there?
1: I think obviously the Russian ASAT test in in December was tragic and I think a, a warning shot to all of us. But also I think that the recognition that counter space capabilities are real, they are growing rapidly, and so we need to do something about them. Uh, and it's not just about kinetic kill assets that shred satellites and create space debris. It's about the com- the soft kill capabilities that we're now seeing with coming out of China and Russia, including cyber attacks on satellites. That potentially, you can't verify a monitor. If that, if hackers can, can hack into a satellite and disable it or spoof it, you know, it's impossible to prevent that sort of thing from happening. So we are becoming far more aware of the dangers of warfare in space. And I think we're starting to change organisation, strategies, doctrine, thinking, policy, all around that prospect. So in that sense, you know, when I think about it, we're kind of, space is like the early days of air power, independent air power in the 20th century where you started to see independent air forces like the Royal Air Force and the RAAF, the Royal Australian Air Force in 1921, and then the US Air Force in 1946. I'm not sure if that was the right year, but around that time, you started to see independent air forces starting to emerge and thinking about air power and think, how do we use this new technology? We're in the same boat now in 2021, 2022, where we're starting to think about space power and military space capabilities. And it's not just satellites for Earth-Observational Communications, it's about how do we prevent an adversary from taking out our critical space support? How do we defeat their capabilities in space? How do we respond if we need to respond? And that carries with it a whole slew of intellectual thought about the nature of space power, space operations, all of that. So I think that's probably one of the most interesting things at the moment going on in the military side of things is The debate about space power and what is it and why it's important. And it's not just in it. It's not, the debate is not just occurring in sort of like this abstract academic, you know, environment of writing learned books and so forth. It's policy relevant. It's directly affecting defense policy decisions and capability decisions and expenditure and so forth. So it's taken that step beyond a simple abstract exercise.
0: You alluded to the history of the military and the air power and compared it to space power. Does it mean that we will see placement of weapons, placement of troops in space? Because at the moment, it's this reactive engagement.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that when we look at the sorts of capabilities that are being tested with co orbital rendezvous proximity operations, the sorts of things that the Chinese and the Russians are doing all right, those tests are not tests of space weapons per se, but they test the technologies and they test the test procedures that would be the same for co orbital anti satellite weapons. And so you could see the potential going down the track for the likes of China and Russia to move down the path of saying, okay, we're going to deploy certain types of capabilities in orbit to be able to protect our interests. And of course, in actual fact, what they're doing is threatening our critical space support. And as I said, there's a whole suite of ground-based counter-space capabilities that can affect satellites with soft kill anyhow. Space weapons, I think, in space are a possibility later this decade. Not really troops or space marines or anything like that. Certainly, I think, a range of counter-space capabilities designed to deny an opponent the ability to use space in the leo to geo environment and eventually Astro strategic competition out at Cisler in a space could see some sort of military role out there as well but I know that there are some in Washington DC who are thinking about that now I think that's probably a, an idea who will that will be a reality or or something more relevant probably in the late 2020s going into the 2030s rather than any type set so. okay
0: Looking back to the last year, what does the space industry in general need most?
1: I think stability, assured growth. Obviously, when we look at the space industry in in the global sense, the provision of space services to the ground, whether it's direct to, to TV or broadband in the sky or 24 7 real time Earth observation, Internet of Things, all of these different new types of services and utilities to be provided to societies should give the commercial space sector a degree of confidence that there will be growth and, secondly, that there will be a need for greater launch capability uh, and I think reusable launch gives them. But I think that the commercial sector certainly needs that certainty going forward to to place some big bets on new types of technology such as space-based internet and so forth. I know Musk is doing it with Starlink and it's moving forward steadily. So I would imagine that once you start to see commercial take-up of Starlink in a big way, you'll have other companies jumping on that bandwagon, and suddenly we're going to have a multitude of companies all providing space-based internet or providing broadband in the sky or or a 24 seven Earth observation. And the other thing I would argue is what can we do with some of these new space services that could change things on Earth? In a big way. So, how does, for example, the Internet of Things change things? If we can rely on space capabilities to ensure that everything that we use on a day-to-day basis is somehow on the Internet, how does that change our society? And you know, we talk about things like autonomous vehicles and and driverless cars and so forth. Does that become a real thing through space, or is it always just on the horizon because we can't really get the technology? I think there's a whole host of new technologies and new services that could be explored in the 2020s going forward that would really be quite exciting and could boost space. I think the third area that probably really does need more thought and and more support is space-based manufacturing because how much more exciting would it be if you can launch factories in space that can then turn out and produce the satellites that produce your internet in the sky or your 24-7 of observation. So you build things in space. I think manufacturing in space is something that is really quite exciting. But of course, to do that, we have to think about the legal aspects, the regulatory aspects, The you know, how do we keep these things running, uh, utilizing space resources. That means we have to go to the moon. There's a whole range of issues that we need to get to grips with in order to make that next step in a space-based economy a reality.
0: What to watch out for next year, for the next 12 months.
1: I think that let's talk about Artemis. At the moment, the Chinese are moving fairly slow and steadily forward with their plans. They're still talking in terms of, you know, the 2030s before they send a a crewed mission to the moon. But at the same time, they're hinting at the possibility that they could start fast-tracking some of their large heavy lift boosters to bring that forward into the late 2020s. So, you know, it's not next 12 months, but certainly... You could see the possibility where suddenly we're starting to get signals from Beijing that maybe the Chinese are thinking about fast-tracking their lunar plans, and does NASA and its partners then respond by fast-tracking Artemis again? Because I think there is a risk with with Artemis that could be continued to be pushed to the right in terms of. Other priorities for the Biden administration. We're going into the midterms where you've got the Republicans probably taking control of Congress, and then 2024 presidential election, which could be, you know, chaotic in so many ways. Things like Artemis could continue to get pushed to the right. The Chinese could make a calculation that they have a window of opportunity here to steal America's thunder in space by getting, ensuring that the next humans to walk on the lunar surface are Chinese taikonauts and not american astronauts and that would be a huge geopolitical win for them so although there is not a space race per se at the moment between the us and china it wouldn't surprise me if one broke out later in the decade but we might start to see the signals appearing for that in the next 12 to 24 months i think that's that's one thing to watch for obviously Program, a breakthrough with Starship Super Heavy could be ground-changing uh, in the sense that suddenly you have a vehicle that can put 150 tonnes of payload into low Earth orbit, is fully reusable, is very low cost and has a rapid turnaround time. They can launch one day, they can launch the next day and so on. That's a game changer. So if that happens, then the question is how does the launch market respond to that? How do small launcher companies respond to that if suddenly a Starship Super Heavy can put 150 Um, satellites up in one go, as opposed to one satellite on one launch vehicle. That's something that I think we'll see in the next 12 months. And I'm sure we're going to see greater risk and concern over counter space capabilities, maybe more ASAT tests by the Chinese and the Russians, probably the Russians, depending what happens uh, around Ukraine early in the next few months, there could be some quite aggressive moves there. I think that there's a lot potentially that could happen in the next 12 to 24 months that are, that are worth watching.
0: My last question is, has there been any space personality in the last year for you that is worthwhile to mention?
1: I have friends in the Australian space community, which I think are doing a fantastic job. Annie Hanmer is i am a huge fan of hers and others in uh, the Australian space community that are doing very well Enrico Palermo the head of the Australian Space Agency I think is doing a great job I think that internationally I people attack the space billionaires over space tourism but my hat's off to Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk because they're laying the groundwork for ultimately space tourism opening up low-cost access to space for a broader cross-section of humanity so they're important Um, because they are blazing the trail. And I think people who communicate and shape the space debate and try and make it clear to the broader community why space is important, I think, are doing a great job. I don't have any specific people that I I follow religiously, but I think that there are so many good people out there doing hard work that I think we're all part of a team and we're all pulling together. I think we have... broadly a common vision about where humanity is going in space and what we want to see happen in our lifetimes the different variations on a theme but we're all going down the same path and i think this is really important in terms of we all work together it's the broader community as a whole that's pushing together
0: this was dr markham davis in our annual review 2021 and i'm truly blessed working with such incredible people I wish all of you blessed holidays and a happy new year. Thank you for listening today. If you want to stay on the pulse of space, visit our website, our mothership, at spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. But of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Thorsten Krinning, CEO and publisher of spacewatch.global, your independent perspective of space. Thank you.